Welcome to The Doctrinal Component with Tom Nettles, brought to you by Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries is a reformed teaching organization committed to the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. For more teaching material by Dr. Nettles, please visit founders.org. Recently, Margaret, my wife, and I were asked to give a short statement about how prayer has progressed in our lives. And so I've done some thinking about prayer. This, this edition of The Doctrinal Component is going to be a little bit of a resume of the things that I thought as I was preparing for this presentation at our church. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope that this will be of benefit to all of you. Prayer is among the greatest privileges that the human creature has. To be invited to a conversation with the great God of heaven and earth, the creator, sustainer, and redeemer, is exceedingly wonderful. Also, prayer is a most profound duty. Some call this a natural duty, though it is one of the most spiritual activities of the human soul, but they call it natural because of the natural relationship of creator to creature. But don't let the word duty tarnish the excellence of it. When something is a duty, that means that we, as spiritual and moral beings, are drawn to it as something that we ought to do, because it is beautiful, lovely, fitting for the engagement of our mind and affections, and of such moral excellence that to avoid it would be detrimental to our very natures and a sin against God. Everyone ought to pray. It is our duty. In our fallen and sinful state, however, true prayer is done only under the influence of grace. We cannot earnestly seek God and approach him with the reverence due him when we are still in the grips of hostility and rebellion against him, when in our very nature we do not seek God and there is no fear of God before our eyes. A great missionary to the American Indians, David Brainerd, in his search for true knowledge of God, came to the point of realizing that in his unregenerate state he said, All of my good frames were but self-righteousness and not based on a desire for the glory of God. There was no more goodness in my praying than there would be in my paddling with my hands in the water because my prayers were not performed from any love or regard to God. I never once prayed for the glory of God. I never once intended His honor and glory. I had never once acted for God in all my devotions. I never had any regard in them for the glory of God. But, given both the necessity of grace and, at the same time, the reality of duty, there are nevertheless certain aspects of prayer that we could learn and place them on our conscience as a privilege as well as a duty and something that by grace we may be enabled to do. Now, some of these things we learn by observation in an environment that is committed to the reality of prayer as an act of worship and submission. In church, I found prayer to be an important component of teaching me what my duty to God was and acted as a, a convicting part of how God eventually brought me to saving grace. I remember little about how I tried to pray as a child, but I do remember certain impressions that I received in church. First, from benedictions that taught the grandeur of God, His triunity, and our need for His daily guidance. I remember this 
benediction. Now may the triune blessings of grace, mercy, and peace from the triune God, Holy Father, Holy Son, and Holy Spirit be with this people throughout this day and all of God's eternal tomorrow. Another that I remember. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious to thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace throughout this day and all of God's eternal tomorrow. The second impression as a child was in Vacation Bible School that emphasized through character stories told wonderfully by our pastor's wife, also Bible memory, and mission emphases. These, shows how imp these showed how important it was to seek God's favor in all that we did, to seek his blessing on the lives of others. I have a particularly vivid memory. In 1956, when one of the young ladies of the church had learned about Jim Elliott and had read the account of his death and how she came into our vacation Bible school classroom and told us this story of his attempt to reach the Alka Indians. I became deeply impressed that support of missionaries through prayer seemed to be an awesome thing indeed. Well, there was a second stage, though, <clears throat> even before I became a Christian, that led to some uh, increased understanding about what prayer was some of this has to do simply with human growth and development, growing maturity in mind, growing complexity in relationships with friends and parents, gave an increased realization of dependence and need for divine aid. In high school, I began to attend Wednesday evening prayer meeting. These taught that we pray for the immediate needs of people and for God's presence in all the attempts of the church to worship and witness. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, James taught us. So I remember such requests that were in line with this. It seemed simple, but nevertheless, it showed dependence on God and a sincere desire for his intervention in the lives of people. Pray for our revival that God would bless the preaching of his word to the sanctification and salvation of souls. Pray for Vacation Bible School that the Word of God will be honored. Children will hear its words and its truths to their everlasting welfare. Pray for Mr. Harrison as he's having medical tests for recurring dizziness. Pray for Hayes Graves as he seeks to present a witness to his construction crew as they undertake a large project beginning next week. But now, claimed by God's saving grace with increasing intensity, we look forward or look toward the, the biblical models of prayer for understanding how we may pray, asking everything according to his will that he may hear us, knowing that if he hears us, we have the petitions we ask of him. One of the things for which we pray is deeper knowledge of his gracious actions toward us. In Ephesians 1, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. We pray for increased love, deeper reverence, growing knowledge and discernment, real righteousness, and undiluted praise. Philippians 1. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And by grace, we learn to pray for greater boldness in seeking opportunities for witness and actually speaking in those opportunities. Paul asked for prayer in Colossians 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Doctrinal Component. I look forward to our next time together.